Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. God bless and keep you. And uh, thank you so much, Lord, uh, for giving wisdom and understanding uh, into these parables that we share today, which are so wonderful about the coming of the man-child ministry and the deliverance of God's people. Thank you so much, Father. Hallelujah. All right, we're going to continue with protection and provision for the man-child and bride, number two. In this first revelation, we called it UBM going to Solomon's Temple. Yes, indeed. This was given to Vanessa Weeks, to 623. In a dream, we of UBM were sitting together in a circle in a home. We were talking about uh, us all going to Solomon's temple. This was very exciting to us. And then David stood up and we were about to follow him there. I remember one uh, asking David questions about this trip. And David got all the materials for the building of the temple, as you know. But Solomon is the one who built it. So there's going to be a transition here. Um, 1 Kings 7 and 51 says, Thus all of the work that King Solomon wrought in the house of the Lord was finished, and Solomon brought in the things which David his father had dedicated, even the silver and the gold and the vessels, and put them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. So in a parable, David conquered the enemies as a warrior, uh, as is happening in these days. And then in the second phase, Solomon, meaning peaceful, reigned in peace and built the temple. Um, we are meaning that the temple made without hands um, the church, not a building, okay? Because that's what the New Testament declares. And after this, we were having a meeting, and we all received a very strong anointing. And several of us were prophesying and moving in the Spirit. We were flowing in the gifts of the Spirit. And it was amazing. I can't explain how wonderful this was, as the presence of the Lord was like I had not known. I remember a lady who was visiting us in this meeting, and she had friends with her and said to us, we don't know what country you will be in. I think this was in reference to us going to Solomon's Temple, which, of course, is a worldwide situation. Uh, I know she was amazed at what she and her friends saw, but I don't think she received the anointing. Well, this anointing will come upon those who have gone through the fiery trials of purification and death to the old man and are ready to receive it. 
They are walking in sanctification and overcoming the persecutions from factions, etc. The disciples received the gift of the Holy Spirit the first time when they were all together in one accord, waiting for the promise of the Father, much like this revelation here. And Jesus told them that they would receive. I received for this dream by faith at random, she said, Ezekiel 44 and 9. This is a temple, but it's not one that's been built. Okay? It's one that can't be built by man's hands, as we will see. Ezekiel 44, 9. In context, Ezekiel 44, 4 through 9. And then he brought me by way of the north gate before the house. And I looked, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And I fell upon my face, and the Lord said unto me, Son of man, mark well, and behold with thine eyes, and hear with thine ears all that I say unto thee concerning all the ordinances of the house of the Lord, and all the laws thereof. And mark well the entrance of the house with every egress of the sanctuary. So this is pointing out that what it means to be a part of God's temple. How do you get into God's temple? And what it means to depart from his temple, as the factions do. Okay? That's what it's telling you to watch for right there. Look at it. Pay attention to it. And thou shalt say uh, to the rebellious, even to the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord, O ye house of Israel, let it suffice you of all your abominations, in that you have uh, brought in foreigners uncircumcised in heart and uncircumcised in flesh to be in my sanctuary. Well, this is true. The church is filled up with tithers. They don't care whether they're good, decent people or not, as long as they tithe. And also the faction is removing these from the house of God. You understand God is using the faction to move these uncircumcised in heart out of the house of God. So, um, that to be in my sanctuary, to profane it, even my house, when you offer my bread, the fat, and the blood, and they have broken my, com- my covenant to add unto all your abominations. And you have not kept the charge of my holy things, but you have set keepers of my charge in my sanctuary for yourselves. Yes, they have. And that's the leadership that is not really legally uh, ordained of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, No foreigner uncircumcised in heart and uncircumcised in flesh shall enter into my sanctuary. Look, it can't happen in this sanctuary. This is a heavenly sanctuary. This is not a building that's been built. Okay, it's a heavenly sanctuary and nobody can enter into it who is uncircumcised in heart or uncircumcised in flesh. Um, Shall enter into my sanctuary of any foreigners that are among the children of Israel. So this is not a physical temple. Only those circumcised in heart may enter this temple. And that means born from above. Their flesh is circumcised at baptism by faith as Paul taught. Okay, next revelation, Uh, a shopping center, Uh, anonymous, 61023. 
I dreamt that I was visiting a town called Sunshine Coast, and I had to go into the large shopping center there to get some items for my son that I couldn't get anywhere else. Well, Sunshine Coast uh, represents Babylonish Christianity, where the sun, slash S-O-N, is shining the light of the gospel. And everyone is first uh, born with Babylonish ideas about God and his desires. You know, when we first come into the kingdom, we don't have good ideas about God and what he wants. So we come out as uh, we search the scriptures and repent of our fleshly ways and our fleshly thinking. Uh, Matthew 5 and 45 says that you may become sons of your father who is in heavens because he maketh his son to shine on the evil and the good and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. I didn't want to draw attention to myself and I especially didn't want to see anyone that would know uh, or recognize me. I wanted to be hidden and to be to quickly go in and grab the items and leave. Well, we should remain hidden in Christ when among apostates, um, obviously. And we're not necessarily to be distracted in all different directions with them. Okay, but God will direct. I walked through the shopping center to a specific shop, and as I was walking, I looked to my side and I saw my birth mom and stepdad walking toward my way. Well, these people represent the religions and preachers that we started out with, right? Where we were born, right? Uh, I really didn't want them to see me, and I didn't want to speak with them. But uh, praise God, he either made me invisible to them or to look like a different person because they walked straight past me as if I wasn't there. I was so very happy and grateful to the Lord. Well, as as much as lieth in you, be at peace with all men. Many apostates love and respect their ways more, far more than the truth, and they will argue with you. You know, with their with their religious doctrines and and religious spirits. Okay. Uh, occasionally, God opens a door in our heart, and, and we feel wonderful about that. Right. If they had seen me, they would have rushed to me, wanting my attention to talk about worldly things I wouldn't want to discuss with them, because they don't want Jesus yet. Well, we can't have fellowship with those who are not drawn to the deeper life with Christ. However, we can witness Christ to them. Uh, Ecclesiastes 1 and 2 comes to mind, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Uselessness, don't get distracted by the uselessness of the worldly church. I knew then that God would not only keep me spiritually hidden, but physically hidden, especially people that I didn't want to see me. And when going through the shopping center, I saw so many people from my past that should have recognized me when they looked at me, but they did not see me as the person I used to be. I believe the Lord made me look like someone they didn't recognize, and I was so very grateful. 
Uh, well, we are a new creature in Christ, and the old man is dead. There were many times after his resurrection that Jesus was not recognized by people until he revealed himself to them. I was then able to quickly go to the specific shop I had intended and purchase the item I wanted for my son, and they were on sale at 80% off. Praise God. There was also no waiting line, so I was able to pay for it and leave quickly. The next store I wanted to go into was right next door, so I quickly ran in, and the cashier gave me all the items I wanted for free. Ah, supernatural, huh? Well, Matthew 6 and 33. But seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So everything we need was provided for in Christ. And Romans 8 and 32, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Amen. Psalm 84, 11, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield, the Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Amen. On my way out of the shopping center, I was given free food. Although I didn't want to be at the shopping center, God blessed me with the items I needed for free or at a very cheap price. Praise God. Well, Philippians 4.19, we should always remember. And my God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Yes, amen. Okay, this was uh, given to Samuel Fire. We called it Di Diving for Treasure, 7 And there's a good lesson in it. I saw a scuba diver. He would regularly go to a certain area where there was an old shipwreck. The old shipwreck is a representation of those who have left UBM and the teachings of God because they fell into witchcraft and faction. You, you want to see why? <laughs> First Timothy 1.19 Holding faith and a good conscience, which some having thrust from them. This is what we've noticed happens to those taken into faction. They thrust their conscience from them. Made shipwreck. Concerning the faith, they have no faith. First Timothy 1 and 20, Of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered unto Satan, that they might be taught not to blaspheme. They blaspheme. Many of these people are held in torment for years and never able to break out of their demonic prison. And one day some will have opportunity again to be free. And they will appreciate it far more. Well, uh, he liked searching this vessel for treasures and brought many items home to share and sold some of value. God's people are the, the gold and the silver vessels, the real treasures in the Lord's house. And many of them have been uh, deceived and the value of the word that they once had has been stolen from them. As the Bible says, the devil will steal the seed which is sown in their hearts. 
and some of these people will return to the truth and be restored. This could also be a timing thing regarding Cyrus, Trump, and the Manchild ministry. Ezra five thirteen through 15 says, But in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, uh, well, America is a type of Babylon and the world, um, Cyrus, the king, made a decree to build this house of God. And the gold and the silver vessels also of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that was in Jerusalem, took them captive. He was taken captive to Babylonish captivity, as many are in religion and in the world, right? Um, and brought into the temple of Babylon. So he, they took the God's people away from their proper land, their proper position in the promises of God, the promised land, and took them into Babylonish captivity where they are now. So those did Cyrus king take out of the temple of Babylon, and then verse 15, and he said unto him, Take these vessels and go, put them in the temple that is in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be builded in its place. And we know that our our uh, Cyrus of this day is doing just that. He is preparing to get the Christians back to building their kingdom. His family were delighted with the findings, but also always concerned about his safety. He went out again, and he got separated from his boat due to a change in tides and winds from a large storm past the horizon that he was not aware of. Well, there are changes happening and a spiritual shifting taking place and a large storm is on the horizon. And we need to be watchful in prayer and and discerning of the times and the seasons. We need to stay with Jesus in the same boat. Mark 4 and 37-39 says, And there ariseth a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the boat insomuch that the boat was now filling. And he himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awake him, and say unto him, Teacher, carest thou not that we perish? And he awoke, and rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. So, he surfaced and was a bit worried and didn't know what to do because his boat had drifted, right? He then uh, prayed for help because he was sorry about doing his own thing. And just as he finished, a shadow cast on him. It was his boat passing his right side. He swam to it and drove back. Well, tribulations make us serious about pleasing the Lord. And when we find that we are doing our own thing uh, and out of His will, uh, we should repent. Um, He delivers and He protects us when we do this. The next time He wanted to go, He took His family and some extended family and their boat had a family time. This man and his brother from childhood uh, 
were the only ones with experience in diving, so uh, the two of them swam for treasure. Uh, the brother pointed underwater at a strange item several yards from the wreck on the floor. <clears throat> well, Moses turned to his right to investigate a burning bush, <laughs> and he found a treasure, right? They both swam over to it and found it was an old treasure box stuck in coral, which had grown tight around it. They kicked and used a crowbar to pry it free. They were taking quite a while and were supposed to surface soon to prevent decompression sickness, but they kept at it and then success. They broke the box free and both men uh, tied an item with a GPS tracker to it and quickly returned to the surface. They told the others what they had found and, and took a break to eat food. Then the two men took a rope and tied it to the box, and the family pulled this box up to the surface. I think many who repent of their lukewarm life will repent and find God's abundant provision waiting for them. It was very heavy and took the second boat and a few more ropes and innovative thinking to bring it to, into the boat. Uh, when they opened it, they found it was full of old golden coins. Well, in the natural, the man-child and bride have been promised abundant provision for the coming days of tribulation, uh, provided for those who have repented like in this dream. And Trump, uh, as a type of Cyrus, will provide for the rebuilding of the real temple of God, which is his people coming out of Babylonish worldliness. And God spoke to Cyrus in Isaiah 45 and 3, And I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places. And this has happened uh, to Trump. That thou mayest know that it is I, the Lord, who call thee by thy name, even the God of Israel. Each, per, each person grabbed a full hand, full, and the rest they let, they said they would sell and divide the money evenly. So they each got a handful. And the, the coins, uh, they held, uh, they would choose. Even each child had a big double handful to match an adult's hand size. He and the brother said that they would not ever dive again and focus on family and prayer because it was God who saved him and blessed them all. Well, notice that each got a provision. That's the way it was with the manna in the wilderness, right? They each got a provision. They leveled off the omer, and then whatever came off was going in the next guy's pot, right? Everybody got their needs met. And that's the way it's going to be in these end times. And that's the, what's going to cause people to be preserved, right? This, this um, uh, giving and receiving, not buying and selling. So 
This is also a warning not to get caught up in seeking the riches of this world. And Jesus said that we must renounce all that we have to be his disciples. That's 100%. That's uh, that's not uh, 90 for you and 10 for God. Okay, that's not a New Testament thing at all. And so we truly own nothing, but we are stewards of all to be shared to benefit the kingdom and provision for God's children. In 1 Timothy 6, 9-10, we're told, But they that are minded to be rich fall into a temptation and a snare, and many foolish and hurtful lusts, such as drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, which some reaching after have been led astray. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the faith, and have pierced themselves through with many uh, sorrows. And also, we can't serve God and money. The man, child, and bride have been tested with this too, or they wouldn't be given it. It wouldn't be given to them to take care of God's people. In uh, Luke 16 and 9, And I say unto you, Make to yourselves friends by means of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when it shall fail, they may receive you into eternal tabernacles. In other words, use that money to bring people into the kingdom. Seek to bring eternal life to all who will listen. And they will be your friends in the kingdom, right? He that is faithful in the very little is faithful also in much. And he that is unrighteous in a very little is unrighteous also in much. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Since there is uh, uh, in the New Testament and even shown in the Old Testament that God wants equality. He wants everybody's needs met, not some people holding on to this greed like the elites do, you know, with tons and tons and tons of gold, which just got plundered by (laughs) the new guys on the block. Well, the man-child and bride will be blessed spiritually and physically and used by the Holy Spirit and Jesus to bring his kingdom on earth. Okay, this was given to Vanessa Weeks, 7-11-23, and we called it Good Things Coming to the House of David. Yes, indeed. In a dream, I was out on David's patio, and I was riding a small vehicle clockwise around his patio set. Well, going to the right, and it may have to do with going forward in time as in clockwise. And as I did this, I was saying, her walls are salvation and her gates praise. Well, this is also speaking of Zion, right? This is from Isaiah 60 and 18, and is about the good things the Lord will do for Zion, the house of David. Isaiah 60, 60, 14 through 22. 
and the sons of them that afflicted thee shall come bending unto thee, and all they that despise thee shall bow themselves down at the soles of thy feet, and they shall call thee the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel, whereas thou hast been forsaken and hated, so that no man pass through thee. I will make thee an eternal excellency, a joy of many generations. And people will return to their roots and uh, once again. Thou shalt also suck the milk of the nations, and shalt suck the breast of kings. And thou shalt know that I, the Lord, am thy Savior and thy Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. For brass I will bring gold, and for iron I will bring silver, and for wood brass, and for stones iron. That's a pretty good trade there. This is a great economy for kingdom people, right? I will also make thy officers peace, and thine exactors righteousness. Praise the Lord. Violence shall no more be heard in thy land. Well, we've heard violence in our land and violent people, evil people that have come to kill, steal, and destroy like their father. So, but he says, no more will it be heard in thy land. Desolation nor destruction within thy borders. He's talking about the bride now. But thou shalt call thy walls salvation and thy gates praise. Well, notice that inside Zion, inside the walls, inside the gates, is fullness of salvation. Yeah. And the rest of the worldly church doesn't know anything about the fullness of salvation. They just are happy to get their toe in the door. Um, The sun shall be no more thy light by day, neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee, but the Lord will be unto thee an everlasting light, and thy God thy glory. Yes, you will be walking in the light as he is in the light. Verse 20, Thy sun shall no more go down. In other words, Zion will not lose sun glory. (laughs) Neither shall thy moon withdraw itself. They will always reflect the light of the sun, like the moon. For the Lord will be thine everlasting light, and the days of thy mourning shall be ended. In other words, the bride has gone through a mourning uh, with persecution from the wicked. Thy people also shall be all righteous. And I can see it coming. They shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. The little one shall become a thousand, and the small one a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. This is speaking of a huge revival, isn't it? Yeah. I was also speaking that since Jesus is in me, And his name means salvation, that his salvation is in me to help others. Well, that's true. 2 Corinthians 3 and 18. But we all, with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord the Spirit. This is how we come into the image of Christ. We see him in the mirror by faith, right? 
Then I went on the, the grass and sat down against the wooden fence. Well, there is no fence there in real life, but it is like a wall. Um, but, and her walls are salvation, the Bible says. So a seal appeared on the patio and then where I was and sat down right by me, a seal. Hmm. I think seal is a play on words about the Lord sealing the bride and man-child. True. So that was the end of that dream. So while praying about what the seal represented, the Lord reminded me of John 6 and 27. Work not for the food which perisheth, but for the food which abideth unto eternal life, which is the word of God in you, right? Which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him the Father God hath sealed. Oh, so Jesus is sealed. The spiritual man is Christ in us, who is sealed. The carnal man can't go to heaven, obviously. Uh, but the spiritual man is sealed. And John 3.33, Who hath received his witness hath set his seal to this, that God is true. And Revelation 7 and 4, And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed out of every tribe of Israel's sons. There's your man-child. So, uh, this one uh, was given to Eve Brast on 9-9-2020, and we called it Lion of Judah Sets the Captives Free. I had this dream uh, on my grandmother's birthday. Her name was Sally. Sally means princess and is a nickname for Sarah. Grandmother uh, represents the ancient true church. Sarah was the mother of the seed of Abraham, who we are by faith. But the modern church must be delivered to come into this. Right? First Peter 3, 3 through 6 says, Whose adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of braiding of the hair and of wearing jewels of gold or putting on apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in the incorruptible apparel of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner aforetime the holy women also, who hoped in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose children you now are, if you do well, and are not put in fear by any terror. I dreamed that I was standing off on the right side of the sanctuary of an old Catholic church cathedral, like the historic ones that you see over in Europe. Catholicism is a mother of harlots, meaning many apostate churches came out of her. And all of them are included in this mother's body. Catholic means universal, representing the worldwide apostate Babylonish church system. Um, I was uh, near t 
to uh, the back of the church where the front doors were located. The doors were double doors made of polished wood with ornate carvings uh, in them, and I could see that all of the pews were also very ornate and made of the same polished wood. The cushions on the pews were a faded evergreen color, and there were many colorful statues all around inside the sanctuary. So the, the faded evergreen cushions represent the fading or loss of the true gospel that brings eternal life to those that hear. Green is like eternal life. The apostate church is full of leaven and idolatry. I was observing the many people who crowded this church. They were all sitting quietly, and they seemed to be waiting for something. Well, maybe for a priest or a preacher to teach them, huh? They seemed to have been there for a long time, waiting, but no one showed up. This kind of represents those who have been in captivity to the apostate religious system for many years but they need to hear the gospel. Then suddenly a very large male lion, representing Jesus, the Lion of Judah, coming in the man-child body of reformers, came through the front doors of the cathedral and leaped up onto the top of the pews right in front of me. His front paws on the back of one of the pews and his back paws on the back of the other pew. And in the dream I knew this that this lion was ready for mating. So the lion of Judah wants only his seed, which brings forth his life in the people. They are full of the seed of man and not of God, which doesn't bring the new birth. I watched as the lion lifted his head and let out a fierce and angry roar of jealousy like he was staking a claim and dominion over all the people in this church. So this roar represents the threat of the Lord's judgment against the apostate church, which we have been warning of. Uh, the deep state leftists will lose their uh, anarchist troops loose their anarchist troops against the apostates in burnings and in killings and in destruction. And we know this happens again in the tribulation period. Yeah. Revelation 17. Amos uh, 1 and 2 says, And he said, The Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. And the pastures of the shepherds shall mourn and the top of Carmel shall wither. Verses 9 through 12 um, say, Thus saith the Lord, For three transgressions of Tyre, yea, for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they delivered up the whole people to Edom. Okay, those who hated and persecuted their chosen brother Israel, Edom, um, and Israel is a type of the church in our day. So this is true. Edomites um, represent those who hate their brothers, mistreat their brothers, uh, so on and so forth. 
And we see that happening today. Religions persecuting others. And and they remembered not the brotherly covenant. Right. You know, the covenant was made with all of God's people. Father, I pray that they may be one as we are one. And these people divided up the flock for their greedy selves, right? But I will send a fire on the wall of Tyre, uh, deep state, Babylonish United States. Tyre was um, that island out in the ocean, away from Sidon, the mother, which was, I believe, Britain. Okay. And it shall devour the palaces thereof. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom, that's those who hate and kill their brother, right? yea, for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because he did pursue his brother with the sword, and did cast off all pity, and his anger did tear perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. But I will send a fire upon Teman, and it shall devour the palaces of Bozrah. Bozrah was the Edomite sheepfold. Right. So, the morning before I began to put notes in this dream, we received by faith at random these confirmations of the lion's roar of threatened judgment. Amber got. Uh, Joel three sixteen through 18 And the Lord will roar from Zion and utter His voice from Jerusalem, which is the bride, according to what the angel told John, right? And the heavens and the earth shall shake, but the Lord will be a refuge unto His people. There you go. And a stronghold to the children of Israel, which is a type of the church. Uh, many of whom will turn from idolatry with the apostates and run to the shelter of abiding in Jesus, the Word of God. So shall you know that I am the Lord, your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Well, the revelation that the people in apostasy got when the lion roared below, right? Then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall no strangers pass through her any more. That's a good day. You know, then the, the fruit of Jesus, the word, will be born in his people, and they shall be blessed, right? Strangers pass through, but not at this time, when they are perfected and matured, right? And it shall come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drop down sweet wine. There's the blessing because of that unity and uh, oneness of spirit. And the hills shall flow with milk, and all the brooks of Judah shall flow with waters, and the fountains shall come forth from the house of the Lord, shall water the valley of Shittim. And then Sue Gilbert got this, Jeremiah 25, 27-31. And thou shalt say unto them, well, the text here describes the cup of wrath against all nations. So keep that in mind. Thou shalt say unto them, those all nations, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Drink ye, and be drunken, and spew, and fall, and rise no more, because of the sword which I will send among you. Just know that after the man-child in Revelation chapter 6 appears, uh, 
a great war comes. And a world war comes. Verse 28, And it shall be, if they refuse to take the cup at thy hand to drink, then shalt thou say unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, You shall surely drink. For lo, I begin to work evil at the city which is called by my name. And should ye be utterly unpunished, you shall not be unpunished. For I will call for a sword upon all the inhabitants of the earth. There it is, all nations, saith the Lord of hosts. He's going to bring some fruit out of the nations. This persecution, this trouble has to happen. Therefore prophesy thou against them all these words, and say unto them, The Lord will roar from on high, and utter his voice from his holy habitation. He will mightily roar against his fold. That's a fold of apostates that we were talking about. And uh, he will give a shout as they that tread the grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. A noise shall come even unto the end of the earth. For the Lord hath a controversy with the nations. He will enter into judgment with all flesh. As for the wicked, he will give them to the sword, says the Lord. So back to the dream. It seemed like I was the only one who witnessed any of this and heard his roar. But as soon as the roar went out over the congregation, they all suddenly sat up straight and got a revelation. And they all quietly arose from their pews and began filing out of the sanctuary. <laughs> so come out from among them. The judgment is coming. Come out from among them, right? So the revelation is this, of course. Uh, apostasy is not truth and will not save. They feel a need to shelter from this storm in God. And they will seek knowledge of the Lord instead of depending on religious leaders who have no answers or salvation. They began to go into the back part of the church where all the Sunday school rooms were. <clears throat> and the large cafeteria where the food was to be served. Suddenly they were interested in spiritual food, right? So we see that the church changed hands to a new pastor at this time. Yes, these people are seeking God. The old ways are not enough for them. Hosea eleven eight through 12 How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? How shall I cast thee off, Israel? How shall I make thee as Adma? How shall I set thee as a Boim? My heart is turned within me. My compassions are kindled together. I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger. I will not return to destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not man, the Holy One in the midst of thee. There's your new pastor right there. Shepherd, pastor and shepherd are the same word. And I will not come in wrath. Uh, they shall walk after the Lord who will roar like a lion, for he will roar. And the children shall come trembling from the west. <laughs> Praise God. Uh, they shall come trembling as a bird out of Egypt and as a dove out of the land of Assyria. That's the beast of that time. 
And we got a beast in our time, too, and it foreshadows that. And I will make them to dwell in their houses, saith the Lord. Ephraim compasseth me about with falsehood, and the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah yet ruleth with God, and is faithful with the Holy One. So the new bride leadership, the man-child reformers, is coming on the scene. People are going to listen because they have no answers in their dead religions. Isaiah forty-two thirteen through 17 The Lord will go forth as a mighty man. He will stir up his zeal like a man of war. He will cry, yea, he will shout aloud. He will do mightily against his enemies. I have long time holding my peace. Yes, he has. I have been still and refrained myself. Now will I cry out like a travailing woman, bringing forth what? The man-child. I will gasp and pant together. I will lay waste mountains and hills and dry up all their herbs. And I will make the rivers islands and I will dry up the pools. And I will bring the blind by a way that they know not. In paths that they know not will I lead them. Yes, their eyes are going to be opened. I will make darkness light before them and crooked places straight. These things will I do, and I will not forsake them. They shall be turned back. They shall be utterly put to shame that trust in graven images, that say unto molten images, You are our gods. And we still have those today. So when the apostate people uh, knew that they needed salvation and answers because of judgment, the man-child shows up. Hosea 5, 14 and 15, For I will be unto Ephraim. This is called literally the fullness of nations. Ephraim is called the fullness of nations in Genesis 48 and 19. Uh, like its New Testament equivalent, the universal church, both fell into apostasy. Um I will be unto Ephraim as a lion, as a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off, and there shall be none to deliver. I will go and return unto my place until they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. And in their affliction, they will seek me earnestly. Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn and he will heal us. He has smitten, and he will bind us up. After two, and I believe this is thousand year, days, two days, two thousand years, uh, will he revive us. And on the third thousand year day, he will raise us up, and we shall live before him. Let us know. Let us follow on to know the Lord. His going forth is as sure as the morning, the morning of the third day. Here we are. And he will come unto us as the rain, as the latter rain that watereth the earth. Notice how Jesus is coming. He's coming like that anointing upon the man-child body, uh, anointing of the latter rain. So Jesus and the man-child body of reformers comes in the anointing of the latter rain. 
Then the scene changed, and I found myself in the Sunday school nursery. I had an infant boy, three weeks old, that looked like he was of Middle Eastern descent, <laughs> laying on a changing table in front of me. Well, as this course, I believe this is representing the birth of Jesus in the man-child ministry. And three weeks is 21 days, or three times seven. In the Bible, the number 21 is a symbol of perfection and maturity. It symbolizes the divine wisdom, the mirror of eternal light, which pierces and penetrates all grace in its purity. Um... There are 21 chapters in the Gospel of John and 21 attributes of wisdom. I was putting a yellow diaper on him. He was clothed with the sun, S-U-N slash S-O-N. And I realized that I was his mother and that he belonged to me, but I wasn't familiar with the father and wondered at the fact that he was so genetically different from me. <laughs> I thought in the dream, how can this be that I gave birth to this baby when I didn't know his father? Well, of course, this is a repeat of history in our day, right? The virgin birth. That's the story of Jesus' birth. And I believe this baby represents the manifestation of the man-child out of the bride body. Also, this is a virgin birth of the man-child as the son of David. It was the seed of the woman that bruised the serpent's head. Aha, that's what he's come to do. The son of David came through Mary, who didn't know the father. The son of God came in the son of man. The spirit man came in the flesh of man, right? Romans 1, 3 and 4 says, Concerning his son who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. Yes, he was. Who was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness. Son of God, the spiritual man. Son of David, the carnal man, right? Uh, by the resurrection from the dead, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Many of my friends and family were coming to see the baby, representing the promise of household salvation, I believe, along with many of the people from the sanctuary of the Catholic Church, the Universal Church. Now, we're seeing the Universal Church as the Universal Church, and it's in apostasy, right? So many apostates will turn to the Lord. Many revelations of great evil in their churches will become known. Now that that will open up their eyes. It was very crowded and people were lined up outside of the room waiting until some left in order that they could come in and see the baby. Many people will come from all over to see and hear the man-child ministers. My best friend from high school, Rene, uh, meaning rebirth, uh, managed to bypass all the people representing those born out of the apostasy, right? And she came up to me and looked at the baby and smiled at me and was telling me how special and important this baby was. She said, look at all these people who have come to see him. 
Renee reminds me in this dream of the prophetess Anna, who prophesied over Jesus when his parents took him to the temple for circumcision. Luke two thirty six through 38 And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, having lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And she had been a widow even unto fourscore and four years, who departed not from the temple, worshiping and with fastings and supplication night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she gave thanks unto God and spake of him to all of them that were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Just like Renee, right? And after this, I left the Sunday school area with many other sisters, and we went to the cafeteria that was connected to the Sunday school classrooms. So spiritual food is what they're now seeking. They realize that this is their salvation. And we stood in line to get our food. So the Sunday school represents the humble beginnings of the gospel, the uh, word which we heard in the beginning. We must become like little children to enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said. We got up to where the cafeteria workers were handling uh, us uh, plates of food, handing us plates of food. The food is, of course, spiritual food here that we're seeing, the manna from heaven, the Word of God that gives life, protection, deliverance, healing, etc. Everybody's going to need this in the days to come, not just dead religion. They got to, It has to be uh, effective in their lives. They need salvation. They need deliverance. So they told us that all the food was free from now on. Per the orders of the new pastor. <laughs> that was his order from the beginning, right? The shepherd of the church. So the apostate pastors have plundered uh, God's people. The new pastor, Jesus, commanded, Freely you have received, freely give, and get you no gold nor silver in your purses. Mm-hmm. So this morning, in our morning meeting, I received by faith at random Isaiah 55 and 2, in context 1 through 11. Ho, every one that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. He that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. What do we buy it with? Our life. We have to give up our carnal life, right? Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Incline your ear, come unto me. I'm skipping down through here. Behold, I have given him, that is Jesus and the man-child, for a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander to the peoples. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, a nation that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God, and the Holy One of Israel. This anointing is going to come, and it's going to draw people to truth. Let the wicked forsake his ways, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Yes, amen. Turn, Return to the Lord, he says. 
For as the rain cometh down, the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, giveth and giveth seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. Yes, his word is going to do what it's sent to do. We were so happy that we didn't have to worry about having money to eat anymore. Yeah, they, they charge you pretty heavy in the churches. <clears throat> so we're told in Proverbs 23 and 23, By the truth, that's with your life, of seeking truth, and sell it not. Yea, wisdom and instruction and understanding. So we're free in Christ, no longer in bondage to men or religion, the man-child body will declare this jubilee or liberty as the man-child Jesus did in Isaiah 61 and 1 on down. Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty. There it is, liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to them that are bound. Well, thank you, Lord Jesus. It's a wonderful thing that's coming. I'll leave the rest of this for you to study it and give some thought to it. And in the in, in interesting at this time, almost all countries have agreed to a jubilee in which debt is being dissolved. Ah, here we go. We're entering the jubilee, right? Well, Father, we thank you and we praise you for this. In Jesus' name, we thank you for your goodness to us. We know you've got great plans for your people who are in bondage to religion, and you're going to set the captives free and open the prison to them that are bound. And we praise you and we thank you for it, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, all right. Brother Michael's going to come and share something with you, brethren, and uh, we ask the blessings upon Michael and upon the brethren listening that they have ears to hear and eyes to see. Amen. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. It's good to be back with you again today. And let's go to the Lord and ask him to anoint us to talk about being created in his image. And I praise you, Father, for that. And I thank you, Lord, that we are created in your image. And I praise you, Father, for helping me to get this important word out about who we are and what our job is here on this earth. And I praise you for doing that. And I thank you for it. And I let this lesson, Lord, this study be a blessing to everyone. And I praise you and I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. I want to talk about created in his image. And we'll start out in Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. It says, Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his doings and have put on the new man that is being renewed unto knowledge after the image of him that created him. Well, in this scripture, the Apostle Paul is telling the Christians of Colossia that because they are new creations, they ought to act accordingly. And he is also showing us one of the amazing secrets about the new creation. And that new creation, the new man, that's the new you, is made new by the knowledge 
he has concerning the image of God is that the knowledge of God that we have of God has to align up with the reality of who God is and how he thinks and lives. Paul also contrasts how we were while we were our old selves before we were born again. And Paul's idea of the new birth was that it literally changed us, our lives, our actions, and our thought process. All ought to be different now as a new man. And this shows that being born again should change us in such a way that we are truly new people. Even more, it shows that what we were changed into in our spirit should cause our everyday physical life to change as well. Too many people, most people in fact, see the new birth as wiping the slate clean or starting over or simply as forgiveness and the chance and right to go to heaven when they die. But all of those things are true, but that's not the purpose for which we were recreated. We were recreated to serve the purpose of God here on the earth. Our eternal life doesn't start after we physically die. It starts the moment we get recreated. And many, if not most, Christians put most of the benefits of the new birth off until they get to heaven. Heaven ain't where you need any of the benefits of the new birth. You're not going to need power over sickness and disease in heaven. There is no sickness or disease in heaven. God's will is being done there perfectly and constantly all the time, which also proves that God's will is healing and health. If God's will included sickness and disease, then heaven ought to be full of it, right? And Jesus taught us to pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And our job is to fix earth until it looks like it would look in heaven. When you see a sick person, you should know that God wants you to go to them and fix them. They wouldn't look like that or be in that condition in heaven, so it's not God's will that they be that way on earth. Lord of God. And to be able to walk up to a person and fix them like Jesus did, you have to have the correct image of God. And you must have the correct image of who you are now that you're a new creation. Man was made in God's image and likeness Right at the beginning, Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27 says this, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. That image and likeness of God in us was disfigured when Adam turned the world over to Satan. 
Luke chapter 4, verses 5 and 7. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, To thee will I give all this authority and the glory of them. For it hath been delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore will worship before me, it shall be all, it shall all be thine. When Adam turned the world over to Satan, Satan became the God of this world. Second Corinthians 4 and 4 says this, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God, should not dawn upon them. When Adam submitted to Satan, he took on a new nature. He took on the nature of his new God, Satan. And since that time, every person born into this world has taken on the nature of the God of this world, Satan. When we get born again, we take on the nature of the one after which we were recreated, and that's Jesus. This new nature is in our spirit. And because we have lived by the old nature for so long, we have developed habits of action and thoughts that are wired into our brains. And these old ways of thinking and doing things are so normal to us that we tend to think that we are still that way. And that nothing has changed in our lives. The reality is that those patterns of thought and action are simply habits that we have developed that must be changed. And that's why we're told that we must have our minds renewed. We could also say that we must rewire our brains. We must construct new habits of thought, speech, and action. These new habits have to line up with the Word of God. In fact, we have to use, we must use the Word of God to rewire our brains. And according to Romans 12 and 2, verse 2, the only way we can have our lives transformed to be what they were meant to be is by renewing our minds. And this can be a long or it can be a short process based upon the approach we take to accomplish it. If we rely upon the go to church on Sunday and listen for 30 minutes approach, the process is going to take the rest of your life. And even then, you will likely never experience the freedom and power you were created to walk in. And that's the path that most people take. But if you decide to renew your mind as quickly as possible, you're going to be seen as strange and you're going to seem possibly as being in a cult. The reason for this is that it is so unusual for a person to be that committed to change. You can see the same response from people when their loved ones decide to get off drugs or radically change their eating behaviors. The difference is that average people are glad when their loved one wants to get off drugs because they know the damage that drugs will do. But our loved ones may respond differently 
when they think that you're going too far with religion. Oh, don't do that. Don't do that. You get caught up in a cult. That's what they tell you. Most people don't realize that the physical world is a polluted and distorted version of the spiritual realm. And that it is the spiritual realm from which we were meant to operate. And you will see some of the same type of reactions if you enlisted in the military. I remember that. Generally, people are proud of you for entering the military, even if they can't understand why you want to do it. Because they know the rigorous discipline you will undergo to become a soldier. When you return from basic training, you're going to look different, you're going to walk different, you're going to talk different. Because you will be different, mainly because you'll think different. Renewing the mind, as the Bible talks about, is the same thing. It's to make you think differently. Renewing the mind is actually learning to think like Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16 says this, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he should instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And because people have heard for so long that God's thoughts are above our thoughts and his ways are above our way, many of them have built up a stronghold in their mind that they can't think the thoughts of God. That scripture, plus a lot of others, tells us that we can and we should think the thoughts of God because we do have the mind of Christ. And that's just one example of the current state of the church of the world. When we start renewing our minds and start thinking the thoughts of Jesus, We'll think totally different. In Jesus' mind, there was no possibility of failure or lack. He never even considered whether he had enough power or enough of the Spirit or enough anointing. He just knew what his Father, God, was like. Because he knew the heart and mind of God, he just went around doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. He never even had to pray about whether or not to heal somebody. He always knew that it was always God's will to heal. And the real secret to power that Jesus knew was to keep himself single-minded. He knew to stay focused on the kingdom and on his mission. The new creation is a radically new way of living. If you are a new creation, you were created to live the exact kind of life that Jesus lived. He was always about his father's business. And there's so much freedom in living the Jesus kind of life. There's no worry. There's no fear. There's no lack. Just peaceful resting in Christ and in the knowledge and faith that he would not lie even if he could. Living life as a new creation is truly the best kind of life. Sure, there can be trials and tribulations, but just as Jesus said, he has overcome, and so shall we, if we remain in peace and faith 
and not allow ourselves to get caught up in the pressures and activities of the moment. Our life is hid in Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And as we continue to dig into the realities of this new life, begin to live a life of constant gratitude, thanking God all the time, even when there are problems. Don't change your attitude and don't change your state of mind. Take a breath and just remember there have others have gone through similar trials and have remained steadfast. And if we continue in well-doing, we shall receive the reward of faithfulness. Most people have a wrong image of God. At least most of the people that I've met anyway. Usually, people have an image of God in their mind that was put there by mixing a lot of experiences together all the way from their childhood to maturity. And usually, they have to be taught this wrong image. And everybody I've ever met that brought up Job or Paul Stone or Timothy Stomach had been taught those things in church. They didn't just come up with them. They were taught unbelief. And that's what it is. It's unbelief. And I wish I could summarize the right image of God into one statement. Well, really, I can. It's called Jesus, right? <laughs> you know, while that does accurately summarize the heart, nature, and character of God, it doesn't clarify things for the average person without further instruction. And I know that one way to get a better understanding of God is to know and to understand the names that the Father told us that he was to be known by, be known by to us. Names like this, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides for you. Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals you. Jehovah Sidkenu, I guess I pronounced that right, the God who is your righteousness. Jehovah Sabaoth, the God of hosts, the Lord of armies. And there's a whole lot more of these names, and each name gives us a different insight into God's nature and his character. When taken together, we get a clear overall picture of the totality of who God is. In all of these names, we see that God wants to be that to us. And we also know that God wants us to know him as the fulfillment of each of his names. Now, in the Ten Commandments, we're told not to take the Lord's name in vain. And while that's usually understood to mean that we ought not to use God's name in a cussing way or a cursing way, the literal meaning is that we are not to take his name in a way that does not allow it to be fulfilled to us. For example, if you claim to be a Christian and yet do not believe in his willingness and ability to heal you, to deliver you, to provide for you, etc., you have taken his name in vain. To get a correct image of God, we should start with the premise that God is good, and that God will heal us, deliver us, or provide for us, protect us, until you find, until there is such a time that you might find out that he doesn't want to do that. What I mean 
by that is this. If we are God's people, we should start with a positive image or viewpoint of God and by believing the best about God, not the worst. And you ought to make somebody prove that God doesn't want to heal you or provide for you or deliver you rather than just believing what they say. Make them prove it by the word of God. And that's why it's so important when we share the real good news about our Heavenly Father and His Son and their willingness to heal and to bless, that we get the people to actually do what we're telling them. We have to be witnesses. We must produce proof, evidence, that what we are saying is true. And I wish everybody could start with an accurate image or viewpoint of God. And there are certain steps that we can take to help us get an accurate image of God into our mind. The first is to hear the truth. This means that you have to decide to listen only to people that are representing the true Jesus, not a watered-down New Age Jesus either. The same Jesus does the same things he's always done. And the second is to start investigating everything someone says about God and build a good, firm foundation concerning God's views on every topic. Go through Scripture and see the real picture of God and begin to notice patterns about the Father as demonstrated through His express image, which is what? That's Jesus. The third is to begin speaking about God, what God has said about himself, and begin meditating upon these things and worship him while doing so. Start to see God as a father, not just as God. What you look at consistently, you become like. And this is why it's so important to stay in the word of God as much as possible. The more you see Jesus, the more you see God, and the more you will know him and start to become like him in your attitudes and your actions. God is so much bigger and better than most Christians think he is. He desires so much more for us. He desires that you walk in health and not in sickness or disease. Smith Wilmsworth said one time, God is more eager to answer than we are to ask. God doesn't want you burdened down with fear or worry. He wants you worry-free. He wants you free so that you can spend time with him doing more than begging for stuff. He wants you to live by blessings and not by miracles. He wants you to know him so that you will be ready to deliver a miracle from him to anybody that needs one. He don't want you to need one. He wants you to be a miracle for somebody. Just as Jesus was a miracle that brought healing and deliverance to anyone that needed it or asked him for it. Second Corinthians 13 and 5, that scripture says, Try your own selves whether you are in the faith. Folks, it's time that we examine ourselves. Are we people of faith? When Jesus returns, will he find faith? When was the last time we stretched ourselves in our faith? When was the last time we truly lost out into the deep with a faith project that only God could bring to pass? 
Let's glorify our Father in heaven. Let's do things for God we've never done before. Discipleship. And to many, <clears throat> discipleship is a mystery. And that's a shame because discipleship should be known and practiced by everyone that calls themselves Christians. The church has done everything except what Jesus commanded. Jesus' last command to his disciples was that they was that they should go make disciples also. The part that many miss in Matthew twenty eight and Mark sixteen is that the original disciples were to make disciples by teaching their converts to do everything Jesus had commanded them to do, and that it was supposed to be continued as a permanent practice. All the way down to us. If the church had followed Jesus' direction, his practices would have been passed down through every generation right up until today. And somewhere in the following centuries, since the time of Jesus, the church stopped obeying Jesus. There became an established misunderstanding And at some point in time from Jesus to now, the church started talking people into making decisions for Christ rather than becoming disciples of Christ. When Christianity became the state-sanctioned religion of the Roman Empire, true Christianity became simply a form of religion. Agreeing with the creed became an acceptable replacement for a living relationship with the Father and His Son. And because the church began separating Christians into castes, the people began looking at those that lived austere lives in a monastery as disciples, while everyone else were simply Christians or believers. Now it's time that the church wakes up to the true call of Jesus And every follower of Christ is called to be a disciple. While the requirements of being a disciple have not changed over the last 2,000 years, the church's concept of being a disciple has. And many people think that being a disciple is a higher call than that of being a Christian. And the reason for this belief is because people want to be saved, which in their mind, means to miss hell and to go to heaven when they die. And yet they do not want to change their life or their lifestyle. And a lot of the misunderstanding is because people don't understand what salvation is. Salvation is not God simply removing the stain of sin. Neither Is it God simply deciding what is sin and what is not and then telling people to avoid what he has deemed to be sin? There are actions that are called sin and there is the principle of sin in man. A natural man's spirit is dead because of sin. And that is the principle of sin because of the natural man's nature, which is sinful. Natural man's normal inclination is toward sinful action. Now, I want you to be aware that this is a uh, very simplified explanation due to the time that I have. 
And this is the basic difference between a saved person and an unsaved person. A saved person has received a new spirit and a new heart. And what this means is that a saved person no longer desires to sin. This does not mean that they cannot be tempted or led away into sin. It simply means that they no longer desire to sin. And if and when they do sin, they are convicted by the Holy Spirit. And I want you to understand it's convicted, not condemned. The word for convicted in the Greek New Testament simply means reproved. And when some read the word convicted, they think it means to be condemned as guilty. The problem is that people read an English word and put the definition to it that they are familiar with rather than looking the word up in a Greek New Testament dictionary. And this brings us to the fundamental problem. There are many in the church today that are not born again and do not have the Spirit of God dwelling within them. Many are simply unborn again sinners that have been convicted of sin by the Holy Ghost. And instead of coming to Christ in the only way that brings salvation, they come to Christ on their own terms and often are under the illusion that they are simply to receive the forgiveness he provides for those that turn or repent from sin and begin walking in his footsteps. Hence, the command that Jesus gave us to follow him. And a simple analogy, analogy may help us in this. Sins, just consider it this way. Sins are like landmines. If you step on them, you die. And God's told us how to avoid them, get a new nature. And God has actually provided the necessary new nature for us through our union with Christ. God did not simply decide on a set of sins. He defined for us what our sins told us to avoid them. God did not look at what humans like and decide to call them sins. He knew that fallen mankind was distant from him because of their sinful nature and pointed out the fact that fallen man likes to do the things that will lead to death because a natural unsaved person cannot live up to God's righteous demands, not wanting to admit that he is unsaved will lower the bar of God's standard. And that's what's happened to most of the modern hyper-grace movement. God did not save man by eliminating sin. He saved man by putting his spirit and nature into every man that has fulfilled the minimum requirements necessary for salvation. Every person that truly wants to be rid of sin and wants to live in God's righteousness will turn to Christ and receive the new heart and nature of God through receiving his spirit and become a Christ follower, also known as a disciple of Christ, knowing that to walk in the footsteps of Jesus is the only way to miss the landmines of sin. If and when a disciple steps on a sin landmine, the spirit of God reveals it to them, and because their heart is toward God and his holiness, they're going to repent which is to agree with what God has said concerning their action and turn away, resulting in a change of behavior. A disciple of Christ is someone 
that desires to draw closer to Christ and his ways. Now let's uh, take a look at why mind renewal is essential and the amazing way that God created our mind and our brain to function. So let's get started. God commands us to renew our mind. Look at Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. And be not fashioned according to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And that first verse up there, several things stand out there. Paul, by the Spirit of God, urges believers to present their physical bodies to God as a living sacrifice. And since they are urged to do it and not ask God to do it for them, it shows us that it is something that we have to do. These sacrifices are to be living, not dead or physically abused, as in trying to pay penance either. These sacrifices are to be holy, which means they are to be set apart for God's use and not for sinful use. These holy living sacrifices will be acceptable to God. And if our bodies are presented to God in the prescribed manner, they will be acceptable and that everything demanded here by God is reasonable and not unreasonable or extreme. In the second verse is where we find some amazing promises too. First, we are commanded not to be conformed or squeezed into a shape or molded by this world. We are to be a light in and to the world, not become shaped by it. We are commanded to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And if you'll notice, this is the only verse in Scripture that tells us how our lives can be completely changed. We are told that the only way we can prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God is by renewing our minds. And if you'll notice that there are not three different degrees of the will of God, there's one will of God and it is good, acceptable, and perfect. And here we see the truths that have eluded so many. Your life is not transformed by the laying on of someone's hands. It's not transformed by receiving a blessing or even an impartation. Your life is only transformed or changed by you renewing your mind. And the reason we have had so many well-meaning people get born again and yet years later are still struggling with the same problems they had before they got born again is because they never renewed their minds. And I can't overemphasize this point. If you want a different life, you must have your mind renewed to think in alignment with the Word of God. And another point listed here, but often missed, is that before you can have your mind renewed, you must present your body as a living sacrifice. And what that means is that your mind will not become renewed if you don't put physical corresponding action into play. 
The idea is that your body has been trained to act a certain way. And that certain way is both ingrained in your neural system, your brain system, and it is reinforced into your neural system every time you do that certain action. And it is actually a closed circuit. You think a certain way, and your body acts in alignment with the thought. And every time you do the action, it reinforces the thought in your neurosystem. And over a short while, the action and the thought become one, and you have formed a habit, glory to God. And that's the way that you renew your mind. That pattern is the way you renew your mind. And if you purposely cause your body to do a certain thing, a certain way, in a short time, you will have trained it to do that action. When you are purposely causing your body to do a certain thing, you must also first think of the thing you want to do, want it to do. So you are in effect renewing your mind to the action every time you think about your body doing the action. And since we are a threefold entity, spirit, soul, and body, the sooner and more often you can cause all three to work together to accomplish an action. The sooner that action will become a habit, which means you have thought about it until you don't have to think about it in order for you to do it. That means that you have also trained your mind or renewed your mind to work in alignment with the desired action. When you have trained your mind and body to function in a negative way, it's called a stronghold. But when you have trained your mind and body to do the word of God, it's called a renewed mind or obedience from the heart. God created our brains to work in a certain manner. You know, for years it was believed that we were born with only so many brain cells called neurons. Now, Scientists have since found out that it isn't true. As a matter of fact, each night as you sleep, new neurons are created. And again, for years, scientists thought that our brains were wired to speak to function in a certain way that they couldn't be changed or rewired. But scientists have discovered something called neuroplasticity. And that simply means that the brain has a plastic or moldable quality which means that we can rewire our brain to think in different ways. And to rewire your brain, you simply must think about the thing you want to rewire your brain to think like. And once you decide how you want to think about something, you simply begin to focus and concentrate on that thing and the way you want it to be. This has been called setting your thermostat, and this is exactly like setting a thermostat in your house. If your house is too cold and you want it warm, you don't set your thermostat at the temperature a house currently is. You set it on the temperature you want your house to rise to. And to renew your mind in a particular area, you don't think about things the way they are. You begin to change your thinking, and then you think about the things the way you know they should be. Colossians 3 and 2 says, set 
your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are upon the earth. And then Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honorable, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Glory to God. Both of these verses, verses tells us what to think on. That first verse tells us specifically what to think on and what not to think on. And what are you doing if you do what these verses say? You're setting your thermostat. The thermostat is what you set your mind with. And the thermostat temperature arm is like your tongue. You set it where you want the temperature to go. So you must first decide to use your body, including your tongue, for holy use and not unholy use. And you must decide to think on things you have not been thinking on. Glory to God. And that takes discipline and it takes practice. You can't have the air conditioner on in one room and the heater on in another. You have to have consistently consistency throughout. And if you don't, it'll take a whole lot longer time to renew the mind. Only disciples are converts. There may be a whole lot of believers, but there are vastly fewer disciples. And before we go too far in this, let me remind you that even the demons also believe and shudder. But will you know, O vain man, that faith apart from works is barren? James chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. So, as you can see, it's not just believing that gets the job done. It's living a life in alignment with what you believe that truly counts. And if you don't agree with these statements... You might as well quit now and save yourself some time. The word says the truth shall make you free, but first it usually makes you mad, don't it? <laughs> and my goal is really not to make you mad, but rather to cause you to examine yourself and see if you're truly in the faith. Second Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. Try your own selves whether you are in the faith. Prove your own selves. Or know ye not as to your own selves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you be reprobate? We would rather convince you that you aren't saved than get you saved than to give you a false sense of security and let you go to hell being a good religious person. One thing must remain very clear, and our goal is to present every man and woman perfect in Christ Jesus, Colossians one twenty eight. You know, Jesus came to make disciples. Then Jesus commands us to make disciples. So let's define what a disciple is. A disciple is a person that is committed to and actively attempting to follow Jesus and his teachings in every area of life. Or more simply put, a disciple is a learner and a follower of Christ. And you'll notice that this definition brings some clarity to the word, yet leaves room for growth and practice. This definition will allow people 
room to grow. It will allow people to make mistakes while not excusing a life lived without restraint. And a general idea of a disciple might be someone that expects and intends to do better tomorrow than they did today. We want to push towards perfection. Yet understand that we are practicing Christianity. And we have to realize that we haven't mastered it. Or the, as the Apostle Paul said, not that we have attained in Philippians 3 and 12 and Philippians 3.16. Those are probably the best bookends to this understanding. Let's look at it. Philippians 3, 12 through 16. Not that I have already obtained or am already made perfect, but I press on. If so be that I may lay hold on that for which also I was laid hold on by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself yet to have laid hold, but one thing I do. Forgetting the things which are behind and stretching forward to the things which are before. I press on toward the goal unto the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, be thus minded. And if anything you are otherwise minded, this also shall God reveal to you. Only whereunto we have attained by that same rule, let us walk. And as disciples, our single goal, having already been born again, is to invite others to travel this journey of discipleship by becoming disciples of Jesus also. True discipleship will challenge you in spirit, soul, and body. You're going to be challenged in spirit as you learn what happened to the real you, your spirit, when you were made a new creation. You will be challenged in soul as you consistently renew your mind to the word of God and begin to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You're going to be challenged in body as you learn how to truly and sincerely present your bodies a living sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 and 2 again, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. And be not fashioned according to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And some people see Jesus as a good teacher or even as a mystic and follow his teachings as a good moral code. But as a disciple, you will see Jesus as he really is, the resurrected son of the living God, Lord of God. And you will see him as the exalted Lord of glory. And you will know that he is with you, for you, and in you. And you will know that you can ask whatsoever you will, and you will receive it because his words abide in you and you abide in him. You will begin to walk through this life as more than a conqueror because you will know beyond any shadow of doubt that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And it's going to be a great journey and an adventure. But you were born again for just such a time as this 
and just such a life as this. Now the key to transformation. I beseech you therefore, brethren, Romans 12, 1 and 2 again, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. And be not fashioned according to this world, but be transformed. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, in that scripture that I just quoted, we're told the importance of having our mind renewed. And it simply states that we are transformed by renewing our mind. And this is the only statement that tells us how to have our lives completely changed. People have tried a bunch of methods and programs to change their lives, but the Bible says that the only way to have your life changed is by renewing your mind. There ain't no other way, folks. And the degree that the Word of God dictates your daily actions is the degree that your mind is renewed. And that is the degree to which your life is changed. Everything works according to the degree that your mind is renewed to it. Well, what's the fastest way to get my mind renewed? You know, during my spiritual beginnings, I often did what my teachers told me to do. And I saw some advancement in my spiritual life. And when I heard the message of confessing God's word, I immediately knew that it was truth. And I put it into my daily routine. I had heard messages on meditating on the word of God. But they always told me to do it instead of telling me how to do it from the biblical perspective. But the confession process was working. I learned that from uh, Charles Capps and Kenneth Hagin. I had seen my life become less like a roller coaster and more like a train leaving a station. I was moving in the right direction, but I was moving ever so slowly. And since everything changes according to the degree that the mind is renewed, it stands for reason that the answer lies within the area of the mind. Now, you know that you are a trifold being consistent of spirit, soul, and body. You know that the spirit part of you is the real you. It's the motor that keeps everything else running. The Bible says that the body without the spirit is dead, and the soul is the reasoning personality part of you. The soul is the sum total of all you've experienced during your life and is tainted by the spirit part of you to the degree that you train it. And the body, of course, is the physical flesh and blood part of you. And the reason I'm pointing these three parts out is because you need to realize that contrary to most teachings in the church today, you do not need to train your spirit. Your spirit was already recreated by God. And if you are a new creation, a new man, what God recreates, he recreates in perfect condition. You were recreated perfect and complete in the spirit. That means that in your spirit, the real you, you are perfect and complete, lacking nothing and needing nothing. Second Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. Wherefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, they are become new, but all things are of God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave unto us the ministry of reconciliation. Colossians 2 and 10, and in him you are made full, who is the head of all principality and power. 
Now, remember, when you were born again, you were recreated in him. The part of you that was recreated was your spirit. So your spirit is perfect and complete. God didn't need your help making your spirit right. Since it was your spirit that was recreated, not your body or your soul, then those are the two parts that you have to deal with. When you were born again, your spirit changed, but your soul and your body didn't. And that's why we're told in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, that we are to present our bodies and to renew our minds. And as soon as you see that, you'll know that it fits in exactly with how the military can take a raw recruit and turn him into a soldier in a matter of weeks. The military can't really do anything to your spirit, but they can retrain you how to think and how to retrain retrain your body to respond instantly and to carry itself like a soldier. And the military knows that the way to transform a person is to get that person to physically put into action what they are learning. They know that they need someone to model the action for the recruits so they can see it done correctly. And there is something called a mirror neuron. And that allows a person to see something and think they're doing it when they see it. And that's the basis of discipleship. If a person can see something done, they will be able to do it accurately and much faster. There's a motto in the military that says, be, know, and do. And it simply means that before any action, there is a thought. And if a person thinks a thought enough, they'll say it. And if they say it enough, they will do it. Now, you can probably see the biblical corollary here. Before you can say, you must think a thought. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's the soul and the mind. The abundance of the heart, soul and mind, the mouth speaks. What you speak about enough, you will do and in doing become. This is the essence of the confession message. In renewing the mind, we have to realize that to renew the mind, you must actually rewire your brain. The word mind is the word I use to encapsulate the total organ of the brain and its functioning. If you renew the mind, you're rewiring the brain. And God has told us exactly how to rewire the brain and how to renew the mind. Praise be to the Lord God Almighty. Folks, get after it. Do it. Do what the word says. And I'm out of time. God bless you. We'll see you next time. God willing. My thirsting soul, pure as water, made me whole. Let your streams of mercy flow, oh Jesus. I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus.
mercy seated for all time. I am yours and you are mine, Lord Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus. Yeah.